Hello and welcome to the ACU Oncology updates on oncogene driven non-small cell lung cancer from the ESMO Congress in Paris. I am Dr. David Planchard from Gustave Roussy, Vigie, France. I am pleased to be joined by my two of my colleagues, Dr. Egbert Smith from the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands and Dr. Daniel Tan from the National Cancer Center Singapore in Singapore. We are all thoracic oncologists and involved in the lung cancer management and research. Welcome Egbert and Daniel, and thank you both for joining me today. In this ACU Oncocast, we'll be exploring updates on targeting rare molecular-driven included metexone 14 skipping mutations, red fusion, and HER2 mutations. With the use of appropriate molecular profiling, we can also identify rare actionable mutations, including the met exon 14 skipping mutation, the red fusion, the L2 mutation, uh, and we now already have approved target for these alterations like depotinib or capmatinib for the metexone skipping mutation, selpercatinib uh, or pralcetinib for the red fusion, uh, and in US, for example, with the ADC, trastuzumab, deoxtecan for the L2 mutated non-small cell lung cancer. There were some updated uh, with these agents presented at this ESMO. Herbert Rezul from the confirmatory cohort C of the vision trial presented last month at the World Lung Congress showed robust and durable efficacy of tepotinib with particularly durable outcome in treatment naive patients with metexone skipping mutation identified by tissue biopsy. Nice overall response rate, 62%. Duration of response was not reached. Median progression-free survival, 15.9 months, and overall survival, 20.7 months. Durable efficacy was also shown in second line and beyond, and these were further analyzed and presented as a poster here at ESMOA. So, uh, Egbert, probably you can't uh, briefly highlight uh, what have been found and what uh, did you report? Uh? I think that there were uh, actually uh, the most important question is does prior therapy matter in uh, the activity of tibotinib um, uh, in second or third line? And the brief answer is no, it doesn't matter whether you had IO, IO plus chemotherapy prior, as prior treatment, your response rate was in the same order as in the entire trial population, and whether you would receive it in any, uh, any uh, line further down the road, let's say third or fourth line, as third or fourth line therapy. I think an equally important finding was that um, we have worries about toxicity of uh, small molecule inhibitors when patients are treated uh, previously with uh, immunotherapy. Uh, we've seen a couple of, uh, um, let's say, unfortunate interactions between a small molecule inhibitor and, um, and IO. And at least on paper, let's say, the... the um, number of patients that had grade three toxicities did not differ between those patients that had chemotherapy only as a prior treatment or any form of immunotherapy. And I think that's a quite important uh, finding from this, uh, from this secondary analysis. So that's mean safe. No? It, it's safe. No, no, that's nice. Yes. Huh? It, it, yeah. it's, it's particularly important and particularly as we get access in Europe, for example, in second line of treatment for most of this uh, this population, post chemo, plus or minus immunotherapy, uh, it's always nice to see that it's safe and finally uh, 
you have the same magnitude of uh, of benefit. Uh, yeah. After the, the question, we all want to push this type of treatment in first line of treatment because the, they are so active in terms of response rate PFS. We have the question to get access uh, to the market to be reimbursed because we don't have the phase three trial that the authority might request. And I think this is a shame for the for the patient. I don't know, uh, Daniel, if this is the same issue uh, in Singapore in the ASEAN country for which. Uh, can you shift up front with this type of compound for this population? Yeah, I mean, I think in um, based on the data that we've seen so far, we have um, still, you know, following that second, third line label. But in, in a way, we actually recently put together some Asian guidelines to suggest that, you know, in patients it, 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 that may be uh, unfit for chemotherapy, um, you know, to have a low threshold to, you know, even consider this upfront. Um, so, you know, I think that, that that's that's currently, you know, where where we are. And and I do believe that um, in in terms of that upfront data, um, you know, there are also kind of intriguing signals from some of the trials that have shown smaller cohorts that there may be improve activity or, or some trend towards better outcomes in the first line setting again you know giving additional potential reason to to move this to the frontline setting and, and there were also daniel a poster on transcriptome analysis from the phase two geometry trial on response to capatinib in patient with a metexone 14 skipping mutation uh, quite interesting to look at the rna expression uh, of med probably you can uh, Correct. Tell us some, some comment. Huh? So I think, um, you know, this uh, was a study um, that, that had read out, um, you know, the, the geometry study. And there was, a, there was transcriptomic analysis that was performed. Um, what, I mean, one of the motivations was, was to see if we could, again, address some of the potential other dimensions in, tissue, in the microenvironment that may influence outcomes. Uh, for example, uh, this association with high PDL1 that we see in CMAT exon 14 skipping, whether that would uh, potentially impact on, on an activity. Um, so I think just to summarize some of the key findings, um, we didn't see um, a particularly strong relationship between level of PDL1 expression with the outcomes to Cape Matinib. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, again, can be reassuring in terms of, um, you know, this dilemma that sometimes we face with a patient with a oncogenic driver and high PDL1 status, um, you know, do we use a immune checkpoint inhibitor strategy or, or a targeted therapy strategy and, and whether there's a potentially crosstalk that may compromise activity. And in this particular uh, instance, we you know, we can maybe show some um, evidence that it may not significantly impact on the, those outcomes. Um, I, I guess the other thing that was um, interesting was that um, we didn't see um, any particular um, differences in, again, CMET expression as exploratory analysis across the different lines of therapy. So Again, you know whether it's first line or second, third line. So again, we don't, you know, haven't quite gotten closer even through this transcriptomic analysis 
um, or at least this preliminary cut of transcriptomic analysis in trying to address that question. Although again, there's ongoing um, efforts to go deeper in that. Oh, that's nice, huh? And I imagine Egbert probably for Tepotinib, some uh, similar uh, analysis will be performed. Huh? I don't know whether uh, these plans are there, but it it may make sense to do a, a similar analysis. I, I think, uh, in particular, the the issue about PDO one expression and CMED expression is in, is important, uh, important finding from the uh, data that uh, Daniel uh, discussed, and maybe I'll be uh, transferable to uh, to Tepotinib as well. No, no, it's uh, it's, it's really nice and confirmatory data. I think this is a important to perform all these type of molecular testing, yeah. and uh, particularly when you use a treatment, second line of treatment, and the uh, big choice of population. Uh, we had also some inter an interesting observation uh, about the continuation of cell percatinib beyond progression uh, for patients with red fusion on pulse cell lung cancer in the Libretto the other one trial. Cell percatinib, which is a highly uh, selective red kinase inhibitor, highly brain efficiency. Uh, Probably, Daniel, you, you can come on because this is something we try to do even for the EGFR, for the MED, whatever the molecular translocation, try to continue the, the targeted treatment beyond uh, progression if we don't have best uh, or the specific option. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I think this data, in a way, it does uh, reassure us that this, it is a reasonable strategy in some of the subset of these patients. Uh, so just to briefly describe that uh, the study that uh, a subset of the this Liberato study, 120 patients had continued subacatinib uh, beyond progression, um, of which uh, you know 40 patients had actually received localized patient treatment for progressing lesions, uh, and you know some of these patients remain beyond progression for a median of 5.4 months, um, and. Um, you know, I, in, a, in a way, I think this is uh, supports the role for continuing this treatment very much the same way that we see, as you mentioned earlier, in some of the other um, oncogenic drivers. In a way, some of this practice becomes a little more obsolete once we develop next generation inhibitors. Um, but, uh, you know, and there are certainly some in development, even in the red space. Um, but Again, the, 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 this is uh, the, at, at the current stand at this current point in time. It, it does support the role of this continued um, treatment beyond progression. I know for sure. I think uh, I'm agree with you, Daniel. That depending if we have a further uh, line of treatment, targeted treatment, second, third generation, if we can understand the mechanism of escape, as we have discussed already for the for the EGFR, for example, with the med mediation, and this is uh, something. Uh, we used to do in clinical practice, but it's nice to see the data from a prospective clinical trial, what uh, what's happened to this patient, and it's completely something that might be uh, performed in a, in, a, in a clinical practice. I think it's very important that we have this, this kind of information because um, uh, such patients usually have, can prolong survival as long as we have treatment available, right? So if we can spare treatment by treating localized disease with radiotherapy or do small resections. Uh, I think that's very, very useful information and points to a clinical strategy that I think uh, is very worthwhile to pursue. Totally agree, yeah. totally agree. And so we had also, we, if we move on the EGF for the HER2 mutant of small cell lung cancer, 
we know the data that has been presented with the trastuzumab drug sequence. It was also presented the phase two uh, Destiny Lung Delo 2 trial. Perhaps before we go inside this uh, Destiny Delo 2 lung trial, would you expert please briefly highlighted uh, what were the results of the Destiny Lung Delo 1 trial, which uh, completely confirmed the, the high level of uh, efficacy of this ADC in the HER2 population, not small cell lung cancer? Well, so, so trastuzumab diroxtecan has shown high efficacy in patients with HER2 mutant non-small cell lung cancer with a response rate of approximately uh, 55% and a median duration of response of approximately eight or nine months and a, a, a quite long uh, uh, survival of approximately 15 or 16 months. The problem with the dose that was employed in that study, 6.4 milligrams per kilogram uh, given I IV every three weeks, was that there was a very high incidence of uh, ILD, interstitial lung disease, but even fatal cases. Meanwhile, there was the experience in breast cancer with a uh, somewhat lower dose, 5.4 milligrams per kilogram, where uh, the incidence of ILD was much lower as was observed in the a lung cancer cohort. Now that may have, that may be due to the fact that we had a higher dose in Destiny Lung 01 or the disease itself, lung cancer, with a lot of people that had uh, pulmonary comorbidities, uh, made them more prone to um, uh, interstitial lung disease. And that's why the Destiny Lung 02 study was uh, devised where this uh, 5.4 milligrams per kilogram, so let's say the breast cancer dose was uh, compared to the, um, to the higher dose that was employed in Destiny Loma 1, 6.4 milligrams. Uh, we saw an interim analysis at, uh, at uh, this uh, meeting, a pre-specified interim analysis, uh, where uh, 52 patients had been treated with a lower dose and 28 patients were treated with the higher dose. Um, and actually what, what was found was that the uh, incidence of uh, ILD was single digits in a 5.4 milligrams per kilogram. However, it was also half the incidence that in the higher dose that we saw in the, um, in the Destiny Lung 01, 14% versus Destiny Lung 02 versus 26% in Destiny Lung 01 with a higher dose. And what was equally important is that efficacy seems to be maintained. Now, the only caveat is that uh, the follow-up, the medium follow-up of these patients was still quite short for four or 4.5 months. Uh, so it may be that in, the, uh, in both cohorts that the incidence of uh, ILD may continue to rise we're not sure and uh, the, the trial already uh, and, uh, is fully enrolled and I, I think you will see next year's ESCO for sure uh, updated data from this uh, from this important study it's nice huh? it's nice to see that finally the you have a lower incidence of toxicity yeah. and many of benefits or probably would be the the new standard in terms of dose level 5.4 milligrams uh, Parking mm -hmm. as it was done in the in the in the breast disease, but for sure we need uh, much more mm -hmm. follow up. But it's nice yeah. to see that some trial uh, quickly they perform a uh, two different dose level to have the best dose level yeah. to 
to go further and after hope to, to get access to the market uh, for this population because currently this is a major issue that we don't get access to the trastuzumab de yes. for this population. It makes, it makes you also wonder whether 5.4 milligrams is not still at the higher end and you may even go lower, right? Probably, uh, probably next step. Uh, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> well, no, well, I think that's important because we are somehow we are going to use this agent in combinations with others. And then the lower, a lower dose, the lowest possible dose that still has biological and clinical meaningful activity is worthwhile to establish. Well, not completely, and particularly with this type of IDC, we might imagine the, the prolonged half-life and to be able to reduce yeah. the dose and particularly for the for the combo. So I think we have a so great discussion, so many things to tell, and we can spend a lot of many, many hours mm -hmm. on the subject. Thank you both. Uh, so really the key message is clearly we need to identify populations with a molecular alteration as we have nowadays, all the different possibilities, non-small cell lung cancer. We have to take care for sure about the toxicity efficiency and particularly with trastuzumab dextecan with this uh, interstitial lung disease is something we are learning. Uh, but I think this is not an issue to expose patients with this type of drug when you see the, the magnitude of benefit. So really appreciate. Thank you both, uh, Egbert and uh, Daniel, for the great discussion on these different populations. Thank you. Stay tuning for the last ACU Oncocast in this series when we discuss new data on targeting CARAS G12C mutation. Mm -hmm.